will be in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we are starting a, a new series called The Gospel for Real Life. The Gospel for Real Life, and this will be a, a series that takes us through part of the fall. Today is our first time in that series, and, and we're looking to talk about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel, uh, that's literally what gospel means, good news, how the good news of Jesus Christ impacts or relates to real life. And I think for all of us, if, if you've thought about it, there is sometimes a disconnect between Sunday morning and Monday morning. Have you ever felt that disconnect? You, you come in on a, on a Sunday and you have a, a wonderful, refreshing time perhaps, a great time on a Sunday, uh, only to find yourself on Monday morning, maybe discouraged or disillusioned, uh, waking up in the morning thinking, is there a real reason for me to put my feet on the floor today? Do I have motivation? How can I deal with today? Maybe, maybe your struggle would be something like you had a great time on Sunday and then Sunday night you had a knockdown, drag out fight with your spouse or your family. And that affected how you feel and, and, and your motivation and even your perspective on life. And you wake up Monday morning and, and there's just no sense of, of the encouragement that you had on Sunday morning. Maybe it's uh, you. You wake up and you're just thinking, ah, i got to do that same old job that I've been doing for years and years. The same old boss, the same old co-workers, that same old commute. Some of us commute a lot. And do I really want to do this? Where's the connection? I, I enjoyed Sunday morning. After I was done on Sunday morning, I felt good, but I don't feel good now. Maybe... The Monday morning reality for you is just you're just aware of, of the world. You're aware of what's going on around you. You're aware of politics, and maybe you're someone who just thinks internationally or, or globally or culturally, and, and you think, well, Sunday was great, but boy, this world I live in is a mess, and what's going to happen in this election or whatever it might be? There's all sorts of Monday morning challenges we face, Monday morning difficulties and trials, and, and it could be anything. It could be these things. It could just be simply your job. Maybe you felt like the bricklayer who wrote the following accident reports. Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the details, the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which, when weighed later, were found to weigh 240 pounds. You guys following the story? Okay. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent 
of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident report that my weight is 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in section three of the report. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I had mentioned in paragraph two of this correspondence. <laughs> it's fictional, guys, okay, so relax, relax. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I now was beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. <laughs> As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. Unfortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. Whatever your Monday morning challenge might be, our goal in this series, <laughs> our goal in this series is to connect Sunday morning with Monday morning, to look at the truths that we remember on Sunday, that we worship around, that we find so refreshing, and connect those to Monday morning. That's the intention. That's the intention of the Scriptures. That's the intention of God. He, he doesn't only want to meet us Sunday morning. As important as that is, He wants us to meet Him and live in the truths on Monday morning. So this series is geared for that. We will look at key topics that flow from the Gospel, that the Gospel speaks to, and we will look at how those relate, how the Gospel relates to those topics, and thus to all of life. So we'll look at things like God, our identity, family, career, church, community, culture, country, and even leisure time. And we will talk about how the gospel is for real life. That's our conviction. That's what we believe the scriptures teach. The gospel is for real life. So what I want to do this morning as we begin this series is just talk generally from the scripture about this idea that the gospel is for real life. And to that end, we will look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and we will read verses 3 through 11. I want you particularly to concentrate on verses 3 and 4. I wanted to give you the context of the whole paragraph, but I want you to focus on verses 3 and 4. And the, and the grand truths there that I believe convey to us this truth that the gospel is for real life. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's been wonderful to sing and worship around these truths. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us about these truths. And we ask you, Lord, to teach us how to take these Sunday morning truths, so to speak, and live them out and live by them 
and find strength in them on Monday morning. Lord, speak to us through your word. Build us up in you to be magnified as a result in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This wonderful letter from Peter to God's people. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these, qual these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's Word, 2 Peter, 3, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. But did you notice in verses 3 and 4 what was being said? Did you notice what was said by Peter in verses 3 and 4? It's, a, it's actually a pretty bold and radical statement. A bold and radical statement. He says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's a bold and radical statement. It's a bold and radical truth. It's a truth I want us to get our minds around, our hearts around, and our lives around. And that's what I really want to talk about from this passage, that statement, most of all, and we'll talk about other things in this passage, that statement that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, the divine power is speaking about Jesus. Jesus is the author of the divine power, and he gives something, he, he grants something to us, he grants this, all things that pertain to life and godliness. We could rephrase what Peter says here in verse 3. And in a slightly different way that I think captures what he says here and actually captures what the rest of the passage says and, and I would say is consistent and captures what the rest of the Bible says. And that's this statement, that Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. That's what verse 3 teaches us. That's what the Scriptures Teach us. That's what this series is about. That Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. That's why we can connect Sunday morning with Monday morning. Because Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. What we remember and worship around on Sunday is to be for all of life. So let's just walk through that statement. Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. And so we're first going to talk about Jesus. Always the, the best answer is Jesus. 
And this passage has a lot about Jesus. Now, it doesn't necessarily refer to Jesus explicitly, using his name at every moment, but it does talk a lot about Jesus, about qualities of Jesus, what he's like, important aspects, important truths. So, so note with me that in verse 2, if, you, if you're looking in your Bible, it says, uh, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And, and then it goes on, this passage talks a lot about Jesus and the grace of God to us through Christ, what Christ does. So when in verse 3 it says, His divine power, it's speaking of Jesus. And Jesus, uh, the divine power is something that relates to Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. It talks about later, it says, He's called us to His own glory and excellence. That glory and excellence of God is specifically talking about the glory and excellence of Jesus. It talks about these very great and precious promises in verse 4. These promises have been granted through Christ. It speaks here about the knowledge of Him. It's through the knowledge of Him. The Him is Jesus. So this passage is talking about Christ throughout. And there are some important truths about Jesus we, we understand from this passage, and we understand from the, the entirety of Scripture as well, that really make this statement make everything make sense the 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 source of this divine power the source of these things is christ he is the source of divine power jesus is god divine it's divine power jesus is god he was fully man in every way he he was a man who who went through the things that we do he had the same sort of limitations that we do he subjected himself to the same limitations that we have he he was hungry he was got tired uh, he, he lived as a man fully in every way. He had the emotions of a man. He faced the temptations of, of men and women. He was fully man, but he wasn't just fully man. He was fully God. He was God in every way. And as God, he had ultimately no limitations. God alone can do anything he wants. God alone. You and I can't do anything we want. And as I get older, I realize that more and more. When you're young, I, I, I mean, I think if you ask a young person, could you do anything you, you want? And they say, no. But there can be sometimes this sense as a young person, I can do anything I want. There's just this sense of, of power and ability and the future looks bright. And, and I certainly don't want to quash those, those youthful hopes. But uh, as you get a little older, you start to realize, you know what, there's not a whole lot of things that I can just do on my own. There's so many things in my life I cannot control. There's so many plans that I can make and really have not that much to do with whether they happen. And it can be grand plans. It can be simple things. I realize in my life there's just, I am so limited. I can't do very much at all. I, I certainly can't control the weather, but I can't even get my to-do list done. I started to think about the, all the things that I can't do. I can't, I, I can't ever do a car repair or a home repair without hurting myself in some way. I, I always have, a, you can tell when I've been doing car repairs or home repairs, I have skin knuckles or something. And, and if you're there with me, you'll hear, ow, at times as I do those things. Home repairs, I, I, I do home repairs, and I always set out, out like, I, sometimes I'll do them on Mondays, and I'll think, this will be an hour job to do this home repair, to replace the lamp over the sink. Uh, I did that one, you know, I'm thinking, hour, two hours. It ends up being like four or six hours. And then what I do sometimes too is I, I do it all, I put it in, and then I, when I get done, I realize I put it in wrong, or there's extra parts, um, and, and then I have to take it back apart again and do it again, and that, that's my life. 
That's, that's what life is like for me. There's just, I don't have much power, and I'm pretty feeble. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and look at our lives honestly, we'll realize there's not much power here. I can't do much. But this passage talks about divine power. Divine power that is available for us. Divine power that works for us. Divine power that comes from Jesus. Jesus as God does and accomplishes all that he plans to do and all that he wants to do. God does and accomplishes all that he wants to do. He alone can do that. And he does. And so we have divine power acting on our behalf here. Divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It flows from divine power. Now, Peter talking about divine power here doesn't mean just generally power. He's not just saying, you know, just general power, like power to make galaxies is working for us, you know, and so if you need your own galaxy, God's going to make one for you. That's not really what the point is. Now, if God wanted to do that, he could, but it's not just general divine power. Specifically, it's the power that is ours through Jesus Christ, and specifically when we talk about Jesus, it's the power that is ours through the work of the cross and the resurrection. So that divine power means the power that is ours through the cross. You see, divine power was most significantly displayed through the work of the cross and the resurrection. That is the apex of divine power. It's not galaxies being made. It's not the universe being made. It's God becoming a man, living a righteous life, and then offering up that righteous life on the cross to pay for sin, and then rising from the dead. That is divine power. That is the apex of power on display. You see, on that cross, there is something amazing that happened. An irresistible force met an immovable object. You know, that's the quandary, right? What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? Something that can't be stopped meets something that, that won't be moved? On the cross, an irresistible force met an immovable object. And there was a power display in that. If that were to happen in physics, if such things exist, you know there'd be a power display. There's a power display on the cross because that irresistible force is this. It's the love of God for undeserving sinners. The love of God for undeserving sinners. God's At the core of God's character, among his many traits, is love. God loves. He, He loves himself among the Trinity, and he loves his people. He has set his affection on his people and his love, his, his desire for their good is just as strong as the love among the Trinity. God's love is infinite. It's eternal. And Scripture teaches us that God, before time began, set his affections on his people, said, I love them. And this love that he has for them is not just like human love that just kind of goes so far. It's infinite love. It's an it's a irresistible force. It's it's. It's of the same dimensions that God is. And it will not be thwarted. It's a love that's an irresistible force. It came from eternity. It came before time. And it will go on for time. And if you are His, when, and you go to be with Him, be in heaven, and a million years have gone by, you still will not know the half of His love for you. It's an irresistible force. It flows from Him and who He is. Now, now if you're a believer... You've got to ground yourself in that truth. I'm here, not because of what I've done, not even because of what I believe. That's important. 
I'm here ultimately because there's an irresistible force that originates from the character of God and God's heart and God's wisdom for me. He has loved me with an everlasting love. Therefore, in loving kindness, he's drawn me. That's the core. That's where we root ourselves. That's that irresistible force, the love of God for his people, the love of God for his among the Trinity. That love, that irresistible force. Now, what's the immovable object? The immovable object is this, that, that he loves sinners. He loves rebels. He has set his affection on you and me, and we are sinners. We have rebelled against him. We, we have not just done things that are wrong. We have, by, by nature, we want to live a life of rebellion against him. It's not just what we have done. It's, it's who we are. And God's holy, and he's good. There's, there's no evil in him at all. There's no imperfection. He's good in every way. He's perfect. He's sinless. He cannot tolerate evil. He's only good. And yet we're sinners. We've turned from him. We've rebelled against him. And no matter what level of sin that we've engaged in, whether it's serious sin and we've done terrible things, we know we're guilty and we know we deserve uh, punishment from God, or whether it's the sin of self-righteousness that we think that we're good enough on our own. That's a horrible sin, that we don't need God. That's a, that's a lie. All those sort of sins are, are a slap in God's face. It's rebellion against God. It's pure foolishness. It's evil. And, and Scripture teaches us clearly the wages of sin is death. Death is to be separated from God. Spiritual death is to be separated from God. The wages of sin is to be separated from God. To have a broken relationship with God. To be cut off from God. That's, that's the just penalty. That's justice. In our sin, God says, no, I, I cannot tolerate that. And if this one lives in that, I, I must reject them. I must let them have their just desserts, which is to be separated from God. And if you live in that state, you'll be there forever. And there's nothing worse because only in God is there good. All the good things you see around, all the good things you enjoy, all the happy times, ultimately are gifts from God. And to reject God is, is to lose all those things and lose the most important good, which is God himself. And so in his justice, he must deal with sin. He must deal with this reality of, of sinful people who have, who have violated his law and who, who have acted wrongly and deserve justice. He's a just God. He'll never be anything but just because he's good. That's the immovable object. He will not compromise justice. And so there's this irresistible force of love. Love for his people. Love for all who would turn and trust him. And this immovable object of his justice. And those two things on the cross, they met. They clashed in divine power. Christ solved that apparent paradox by offering his life up. The righteous life. The, the very beloved one of the Father. In his love for the Father. and his Father's love for him. and his love for his people. He laid down his life on the cross. To bear your sins. To pay your penalty so that the Father could love you fully and freely and eternally. So he could forgive you and you could live in that forgiveness and be reconciled to him. And be counted as sons and daughters to know him and love him forever and receive that love. And to see the fullness of all his desires for you and his love for you come to pass. And then to be welcomed into this wonderful love of God. Loving God more than yourself and more than anything as well. 
That's what happened on the cross. That's what Peter means by divine power. That work on the cross, that divine power happened through Christ, through his death, and through his resurrection. It is a wonderful display of power for you. And it is from that display everything else flows. All these other aspects of who he is, his glory and his excellence is shown in in his life and his death. The knowledge of him has to do with the knowledge of this work on the cross, this good news of the gospel. And through this, the very great and precious promises are ours. In that divine power, he, he gives all these things to us. Very great and precious promises. All the promises of God. There's thousands of promises of God in the Scriptures. And they're all yes and amen in Jesus for you. But they're not, the, they're not there because of you. The promises are not yours because you have merited the promises. What right really do we have to, to, to say that, well, that promise is for me? Here's a great promise in Scripture, one of the, one of the wonderful ones. Hebrews 13, 5. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, the infinite, glorious one, the good one, the faithful one, he's in control of everything. He says to the believer, it's very clear, you can read in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a glorious promise. Now, there's things in that section that says, therefore, you can be free and not worry about money and and live a radically different lifestyle, a different Monday morning experience because of that promise. But what's the basis of that promise? Do you have a right to claim that promise for yourself? I don't. Neither do you. Left to ourselves, why would God promise never to leave me or forsake me? I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel left to myself. I want to run the other way. He has no obligation to me in and of myself apart from justice. Yet Christ died for my sins. Christ died for your sins. And now you're forgiven and you're reconciled. And when you turn from yourself and you turn from your sin and you put your faith in Him, you are joined with Him. And now all the things that that Jesus deserves are yours. He was treated as you deserve so that you can be treated as He deserves. And so that promise is yes and amen in Jesus. When you belong to Him, that divine power is yours. And now that promise is a sure promise for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's yours. That's your truth in Christ. That divine power is for you. And, and, the, and, and it happens through the knowledge of Him. We need to know Him. We need to know these truths. And this is an important aspect of how Sunday morning is connected to Monday. You need to know these truths. You need to think about them. And you need to experience their reality. Think of it this way. Imagine... Um, Imagine that you don't have a cell phone. That might be just unimaginable for you. Uh, but matter of fact, there are 12% of the adult population doesn't have a cell phone, believe it or not. Anyone? I won't even do that. I'll embarrass people who don't have a cell phone. But um, there are people who don't have a cell phone. So imagine you don't have a cell phone. Uh, and someone gave you a cell phone to use in an emergency. They just were concerned for you. They wanted you to have it. And you don't really want to use it, though. And so you take the cell phone, and you're like, okay. And you just put it away. You put it in your pocket, put it in your pocketbook, briefcase, whatever, and just forget about it. You never, you never open it up. You never learn how to use it. You never get to know it at all. Uh, it's, just, it's just been offered to you. You have it there, but you don't know it. You don't know how to operate it. And then the day comes where the emergency comes along. And it's time to use your cell phone. And you have no clue. 
how to operate the cell phone. What are you going to do? You're probably not going to know how to use it. Similarly for us, God wants Jesus to be a reality in our lives in those times of emergency on Monday morning and other times, and He wants us to know the truths about Him. Not just come and kind of do Christianity light. I feel good, and yes, Jesus, and that's it. But He wants us to go deep. He wants us to think about these gospel truths. He wants us to experience them. He wants us to, to turn and put our faith in Him and to ground ourselves and get used to living life with Him, to know Him, and to experience all these things through the knowledge of Him. Now, I could talk much more about Jesus there's a lot in this passage and a lot in Scripture, but I want to move on to the next thing, that Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. He gives us all we need. And I just want to focus on that statement. He gives us. Do you see, I think we can put up here the, the verse. In this section, two times, it speaks about being given something. He has granted to us all. Do you see that there on the overhead? And then in verse 4, He has granted to us. That's an important verb. Grant. Anyone here a college student? Do you have a, a college loan? Some of you do. When you have a college loan, do you have to pay it back? Yes. Anyone here have a college grant? Yes. Do you have to pay a college grant back? No. Those are good to get. Grants. A grant is a gift. When you grant something to someone, you give it to them. You, you give it to them and there's basically no strings attached. And there's a truth here that, that is so vital for us and so important for Monday mornings. And that is this, that divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us all. It's a gift. It's been granted from Christ. It's given freely. That is so important. And it's so important for Monday morning. Now, don't get me wrong. Peter's going to talk about the right response to this and things that we need to believe and do. I'm not saying that, that it, it doesn't matter what you believe or do. It's just granted. I, I'm not saying that. But sometimes as Christians, we get things mixed up. And we think the Christian life is more about what I do than what I've received. It's more about what I give, and that's important, than what I've received. But the Christian life is not at the core about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. It's about Jesus and the fact that He has granted something to you. That's what Christianity is about at the core. Jesus and what He's granted. And that's to be our core. And that truth is a Monday morning truth we need to ground ourselves in because we have to fight this constant tendency to live and define our lives by what we need to do to somehow earn God's favor. And that's contrary to the gospel. Christ has done it. His divine power has done it. And He has granted it to you. Should you receive it? Receiving it's simple. It's saying, forgive me, Lord. For my sin, I want to receive your grace and follow you. It's all you need to do. And, and, and if you have, it is granted to you. And you're to live your Monday morning that way. Could it be that your Monday morning struggle has to do with this? You're thinking more about what you need to do on that day than what Christ has done for you already? Could it be that that is why it's difficult to live out your week? Because you're more aware of what you think you ought to do? And maybe you're connecting 
what you ought to do to how you feel about God and how you feel about life and how you feel about everything. And God wants to change you and how you look at Monday morning. And he wants to ground you in this, that, that Jesus gives us all we need for all of life. Finally, he gives us all we need for all of life. What does he grant? He grants us all we need for all of life. What does it say in the passage? It says he has granted to us all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things has he granted to us? Some things? A few things? Lots of things? All things. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. That's a, a wild thought. Now, let me, let me help lead us to think through this well. Uh, what does he mean by all things? Does he mean that he's granted to you that house on the beach that you've been dreaming about? Or that Honda Cross tour that you've been envying in your neighbor's driveway? Or that big retirement account that you hope you could get? Is that, are those the all things? It does say all things, does it not? Can we name it and claim it? All things? Is this what it means? Well, you've got to read the rest of the passage, right? That's always a good way to understand Scripture. Read, keep on reading. Keep on reading. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Not all things that pertain to your bank account. Not all things that pertain to your real estate situation. Now, now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong necessarily with having a house on the beach or whatever. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. But there's no guarantee in this passage of a house on the beach or a car in the driveway. It's all things that pertain to life and godliness. What does Peter mean by life and godliness? He means basically life as a believer. Life as a believer. And if you follow through what he says later, we read some of that, and you follow through the rest of Peter, he's talking about the life of faith, the life that is the eternal life that starts the day you believe, and it goes on forever. That's the, that's the life of faith. It's a life of godliness. In other words, it's a life that's changed by the truth of forgiveness. And I would just love to dig into what it says later on about if somebody doesn't live a godly life, they've forgotten that divine power has granted them something. Your ability to live a godly life is grounded in remembering you've been forgiven and you're, you're accepted and you find your life in His grace. And so this is godly life that flows out of this truth. And so He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All the things that, that have to do with living the life in the Lord. So it's not so much that He's granted us all things in life. Now He has. All good gifts come from Him. I, another thing we could talk about. But, but it's, so it's not so much whether you have a brand new car or not or a brand new house, but how you live in the Lord in that house and in, with that car or in that relationship or in that job or whatever it might be. It's more about who you are and how you think about yourself and others and how you live. That's life in godliness. In some ways, the quality of your life. Not necessarily the details. God does care about the details, but that's not what this passage is talking about. All things that pertain to life and godliness. God may or may not give you a brand new car. But He does, and Jesus gives you what you need to enjoy that car properly. He gives you what you need in Jesus to 
work on that car and do repairs if you do repairs properly. Enjoy without cursing when your knuckles get skinned or whatever it might be. He gives you everything related to that car that, that maybe affects how you drive that car. All the things that relate to that car that pertain to life and godliness. He has granted you grace in Christ. You are forgiven. You belong to him. So when you drive that car, you're able by his grace to refrain from cursing at the person who cuts you off or getting angry when you're stuck in traffic or whatever it might be. He meets you as you have that car. And, he, and, I, and I just kind of went off as I thought about all the ways that he would give you things that pertain to life and godliness related to your car. There's no guarantee that the car that he will give you a particular car, but how you operate that car, what you do with it. And then I just thought of all the ways that that would work its way out. It, it, it has to do with, I have a, I have a, we have a nice car and a bad car in our driveway. And, and, uh, and they're both used, but our older car is getting rusty and falling apart. And I don't think it's time to get a new car. And one of the ways that God helps me in life and godliness related to my car is not necessarily giving me a brand new uh, SUV or whatever, but when I look at that thing and it's full of rust and I think this is a piece of junk and I look stupid driving around, I can think, you know what, I've got Jesus and how I look with my rusty car or not is not all that important. It affects how I operate my car. And then when it comes time for maybe me uh, to make a decision, how I think about that. Maybe I give the car away instead of trading it into somebody. It changes the nature of life, not necessarily the details in the ways that we would prefer. That's what Peter's talking about. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been granted to us. That's so, so important. He's given us all things that we need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if the bank could come up as we prepare to close. So on your job, on your job, whatever it might be, even if you are a bricklayer and you face these difficulties, you have been granted all things through Christ that pertain to life and godliness. He wants to meet you in that job. He may or may not give you a different job. He may or may not give you a dream job. But there's something you need more than a better job. You need Jesus on the job. You need to know that the promises of God in Christ for you are yes and amen when you're in that moment of, of difficulty at work. To know that He'll never leave you or forsake you. To know that you're forgiven and accepted. To know that he's going to give you the grace you need to sustain you in work. To know that he's going to use you perhaps at, at that job to shine for him. To maybe reach out and love others in his name. To tell them about Christ. Maybe what he has designed is, is for you to receive and live in all that he's granted you in his divine power so that when you suffer in life, the co-workers you've known for 30 years are going to be watching. And they're going to watch you honestly struggle. And they're going to watch you go through pain. But they're going to watch the difference that Christ makes in your life, even in your weakness. And see you holding on to Jesus. And he's going to touch their lives in that way and bring glory to his name. There's countless ways that he gives us what we need for life and godliness. And what we want to do in this series is to talk about that. We want to get into the details and learn how to connect Sunday morning with Monday morning. And as we close this morning, as we prepare to worship in song, let's just take a minute and think about the one Monday morning challenge you have. And to ask the Lord to help you learn how to apply 
Sunday morning truth, how to apply the gospel to real life in that situation. Then we'll close in worship.